Amen. Hey, so uh, this will be this will be the last Sunday that uh, I say the last Sunday. Um, we're going to continue this proximity series, but it will be the last message in the series. And next week we're going another another route, and some of you are going hallelujah. <laughs> eight, eight eight messages. But anyway, we've been talking about this, um, and the main the main two texts will be up on the screen this morning, and then after that uh, we'll be. Probably if you just flip your Bible, we may hit it um, somewhere. But uh, we've been talking about the idea of living in the presence of the Lord, being aware of the presence of the Lord. And, uh, and, and um, we have been talking about this, uh, really, just the awareness. And we have said continually that when it comes to living in the presence of the Lord, say living, um, I think sometimes we have treated it, and we've jokingly said that we, we come into this space and we worship and we encounter the presence of the Lord and you get the warm and fuzzies or you maybe get goosebumps or the hair on the back of your neck may stand up or you just know the Lord's here. And that's amazing and that's awesome. But when we leave, He doesn't stay here and we leave Him. He actually goes with us. So when I leave today and I, we lock up the doors to the church, I won't, right before I flip off the lights, well, actually what we do is I set the alarm and I run out that door because I don't have a key with me to this door, so it's a real funny picture to see. But anyway, it is. It's funny to watch a chubby bearded guy run. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I don't, right before I close that door, I don't go, bye Jesus, I'll see you next week, right? I mean, it just sounds so silly. With the Lord, he's with us all the time, and that's why we say everywhere he goes, I go, everywhere I go, he goes, because he lives inside of me, he lives inside of you. And so we want people to become very aware of that fact, that he is with us all the time. And so that's why we're talking about living in proximity, the awareness of his presence. Go ahead and put Psalm 1 up there. Or not, that's okay. Psalm 1. Verses 1 through 3 says this. No big deal. Psalm 1 says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night, and he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does prospers. And so, as a follower of Jesus, we have this incredible privilege of getting planted next to the streams of water. And these waters, they bring life to everything. And we've been talking about being fruitful. And, and we've been talking about the idea that, that if we would get planted next to the streams of water, and planted, it means transplanted, it means if we make the intentional decision to live in the presence of God and be aware of the presence of God, that our lives will actually yield fruit that count towards something. The, the most simplistic explanation I could say for that is if we would live, or if we would live in the presence of God, if we would get planted next to the presence of God, our lives would count for something. Okay? That's the most simplistic thing. Like, like I, I guarantee if we asked anyone on the planet, they're going to say, I want my life to count. Right? Well, the, the way to make our life count is to get planted next to those streams of water. And it says its fruit, will, it will yield 
fruit in a season, which means it'll continue to bear good things, continue to bear good things. Which, very simplistically, if we would get planted next to, next to him, simplistically, it would be like, like well, I'm, I may not stand up and ever preach a gospel message in front of a congregation, but I'll be able to encourage a coworker, right? I'll be able to help someone when they're in a time of need. I'll have the right word to speak at the right time to someone. I may, the Lord may speak to you and you think, I need to just go bless this person. Or, or you may, the Lord may blow through you or may, the Lord may give you a word and you can tell your waiter or waitress, like, look, I, I just want you to know that he loves you so much and it's that yielding fruit and that changes that person's day. I mean, it's really, really simple. But the gospel message is a very simple message. It really, really is. We, we complicate everything. We really do. But it's a... <laughs> We do. We complicate everything. But this is just this living in his presence so that we can give him away and see him move all the time. All right. So if we would live close to him, we'd bear this fruit. Go ahead and look at Ezekiel 44. Okay. Ezekiel 44. I'll give you time to flip there if you want to. Ezekiel 44. We've talked about all kinds of the ramifications of living in the presence of the Lord. And, and this last one, I thought it was pertinent to talk about this. That so much, so much of the benefits of living in the presence of the Lord or, or living near Him or being in proximity, whatever we want to say, there's a lot of benefits that we receive. There, there, there's, there is no doubt. The emptiness that we may feel, He feels it. Right? The sadness that we feel, he replaces it with joy. Right? Or the anger that we feel, he replaces it with peace. The stress and anxiety that we feel, he, he fills it with comfort. He, he does all these things for us if we live in his presence. But I wanted to look at this, kind of put this on its flip side uh, this morning. That if we live in proximity with the Lord, it actually allows us to minister to the Lord. Now, this is backwards because, and, and so don't hear, don't hear what I'm not saying. <laughs> okay, when, we, when we come here, we say things like, we want the, I need the Lord to minister to me today, which is a very real thing. But have we considered, I want us to consider the idea that not only does he minister to us, but what we do actually ministers to him. It, it's like this. It's like this, like, because the way this stuff is set up, like, like what we do sometimes is we think that, that we, we're here and we have a man or a woman speaking a message. We have a man or a woman singing songs. And then we have the people that are here sitting in the seats. And so what we think is, is we have those that are doing and those that are spectating. And, and, it's, and, and, and I, I would propose this morning that actually when we're all right here, we're all actually doing something before the Lord. And, and it would be the way that we worship. It would be how we're engaged. It, it would just be everything that happens here isn't just one way. It's actually this beautiful thing. And, and we're on a stage and, and the person in the audience is the Lord. And what we're doing before the Lord, he finds pleasing. And so it's this really, really unique thing that not only does he minister to us, but we minister to him. It's a big deal. It really is. It's a really, really big deal. So let's read this verse. Verses Ezekiel 44, starting with verse 15, it says, But the Levitical priests, the sons of Zadok, 
who kept charge of my sanctuary when the sons of Israel went astray from me, shall come near to me and minister to me. And they shall stand before me to offer me the fat and the blood, declares the Lord. They shall enter my sanctuary. They shall come near to my table to minister to me and keep my charge. And it shall be that when they enter at the gates of the inner court, they will be clothed with linen garments and wool uh, shall not be on them while they are ministering in the gates of the inner court and in the house. Okay, so it's like a really weird passage, but it'll make sense here in a minute. Ezekiel's weird, by the way. He's, he is. He's like, yeah, never mind, I won't say it. Right? He, uh, yeah, he had a weird call. All right, so in this passage, it's talking about the Levitical priests in the Old Covenant. Now, since we're in a New Covenant, after Jesus has come and he has died and he's rose again, he's ascended into heaven, uh, the New Testament actually says that we are all priests. So, which would mean that everyone in here is a priest, and so this would apply to every single person in here. Now, verse 15, it says, The Levitical priests, the sons of Zadok, who kept charge of, of my sanctuary when the sons of Israel went astray for me. So here's this group of people that even when the world was going to a hell in a handbasket, here's this group of people that says we're going to come into the sanctuary of the Lord and we're going to worship Him and we're going to praise Him and we're going to minister to His heart because He's good and He's worth it. All right? They, they shall come near to me and minister to me. All right. says that when they come near, it means, obviously it means come near, but it means when they step into my presence, it means when they approach me, when they present oneself, it actually means that when they come, they present themselves as an offering to God. And so when we come into this place or in our day-to-day -day life, if we're in the presence of the Lord, yes, he's ministering to me, but actually what we are doing is we are presenting our whole life as an offering unto him. And when we do this, he actually finds pleasure in it. It's not that, yes, he, he does love us and he's crazy about us, but what he really wants for us is just to yield our entire life and our entire heart, our entire souls, our entire minds to him as an offering for his purposes for however he wants to use. And when we offer ourselves to him, it actually says that it ministers to him. What's minister mean? It means to serve. And it means to attend to. So think like this. Like, like it, and I'll just use the, the minister, the pastoral role as an example. But when you say, well, you know, I, I went somewhere and I ministered to someone. Or I went to the hospital to go minister with someone. What, what it means is I went there and I went to attend to them and take care of whatever need that they had in that moment. Whether it was an encouraging word, whether it was me sitting in silence with a family, sometimes the best thing you can do when you're helping people is just to be quiet and let them know they're not alone, right? Or, or rather, it's to speak an encouraging word, it's to attend to whatever it is. And so he says that if they would come to me and approach me, that their very life would be an offering that attends to what he needs. Now, now the Lord, he's self-sufficient. He doesn't need anything. We understand this. But the way he, the Lord is saying it is that if we would just give him absolutely everything, he actually finds pleasure in it. All right. This is much more exciting to me than everyone else. That's okay. <laughs> it sounds so backwards. It sounds so backwards of what we're taught. 
I just, I need ministered to today. I'm praying, I'm praying that this, like, I know people's going to come here and get encouraged. And I don't say that in arrogance. I I say that just because I know the Lord's here and he's good. But, But I also wonder what it would look like if we lived our lives in the presence of, the, of, of God, not the God, but of God every day of our life. And, and when we went about our week, we knew that he was with us all the time. And when we did our day-to-day life, we knew that he was with us. And we came here and I was like, man, he has been with me there. He's been so good. And rather than, rather than just saying, I'm on empty today and I need filled up and I'm not condemning you if you're that way because that's life and that happens. But what would it look like if we came into this place and it's like, man, he was with me all week and he did this and this and this and this and this and this. And now that I'm in this space with everyone else, I'm just going to release praise. I'm going to release uh, adoration and, 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 and compliments unto the Lord. And I'm going to minister to his heart. I promise you, man, it would wreck every single paradigm that we have in our life. It, it messes up royally. And that's a good thing. <laughs> it would. It, it would. It would. We would minister to him, and then he would minister to us. And what happens is, as he ministers to us, he empowers us to minister to others, and then they minister to him, and then he ministers to them, and then they minister. I mean, it's just this beautiful, ongoing picture of attending to one another's needs. Now, this next thing, the second part of this verse, it, it, actually, when we minister to the Lord, we never stop ministering to the Lord. It says, and they shall stand before me to offer me the fat and the blood, declares the Lord. So the second part of this verse, you know, he says, they shall come to me and minister and they shall stand before me. Stand means to present yourself to a superior. We know the Lord's superior. Okay. We, it means to present yourself to a superior. It means to present yourself as an offering. It means... Um, Oh, man, let me phrase it like this. And, and so there's really two types of ways we can offer ourselves to the Lord. And, and this one, I think we do really well. We, we do stuff like this. Like when you get on your knees, or even if you're not on your knees, you kind of bow your heads, right? It's, it, this, this is a picture of submission. Like if I did this, right, that's submission, I did this. That's the mission, right? It's, I mean, it's the same, same type of principle. It's, it's, <laughs> that's what surrender is. It's just. And so when we come like this, and, and again, you may not do this physically, but in your heart, you can do this. When you do it like this, you are essentially saying you are holy and you are good and you are king and you are mighty, right? It's, it's placing ourselves at his feet in this position of submission. So that's one way to offer yourself to him. But when he says this, he takes it a step further. He says, when they stand before me. So when I stand before him, this isn't just a submissive posture. This is saying, I'm standing before you because I'm ready to receive my marching orders. I'm going to stand before you saying, I'm yours. Would you use me any way that you see fit? And so it's, 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 it's this. It's not only am I acknowledging he's good, uh, which I think we do really well. I think people do that pretty well. But it's like it's, it's you're good, you're king, but also since you're king, you have permission to use me however you want. Like we understand, like if I went before a king here on earth, 
<laughs> like if we, you know, we do whatever you kneel, whatever they do before a king, like you're, you're submitting to their authority, but then also if the king declared and decreed that you needed to do something, you needed to do that, right? And so this is what standing before him means. It's just this beautiful picture. Not only are we acknowledging he's God, we want to be used of God. Oh, man. And he desires us to stand before him and present ourselves as a gift to him. And it sounds a little silly. He says, they'll stand before me. They'll submit to me. Not only will they submit to me, but they will present their whole being to me so that I can use them and so that I can move through them and so that they just belong to me. That's, and again, I quote this verse all the time. It's in, it's in 1 Peter 2, 9, that they shall be God, their royal priesthood, God's own special possession. They're a peculiar people, means one solely belonging to God. And so it's this group of people that stands before him and says, I only belong to you and only do I only belong to you. It says that they will stand before me and they will offer me the fat and the blood. That sounds really weird. And Ezekiel's really weird. I mean, the dude laid on his side for a long time and actually cooked himself over fecal stuff. So, I mean, it's really, he's a weird guy. But he said, I shouldn't have said that. I said that earlier. I wasn't going to, but it's just been in my head. And now I feel better. <laughs> but it says that he gave them the fat. Well, what's significant about the fat? The fat was the best portion. He says, they will offer me the fat and the blood. The Lord desires our absolute best. And I'm not talking about striving and oh, i got to give my best. I'm talking about just saying whatever I have is yours, God, and whoever I am is yours. And I'm going to do the best that I absolutely can. And yeah, you may slip up. You may mess up. You may fall. And that's, I'm not giving an excuse to mess up. I'm just saying that if you do, it's all right. Pick yourself back up. He has grace. He loves you. You're covered by the blood. And he's going to help you walk through this stuff. But he desires our absolute best. Let me phrase it like this. Like when we worship, I, 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 I peek my head around real quickly. And I saw so there were a few sitting. There were a few sitting. Most were standing. So, uh, the other night we had some on our knees. Some had your hands up. One, uh, say one. Some had one hand up. A few of you kind of did this because you weren't sure if you could hold your hand up yet, right? And, and others were holding onto the chair in front of us for dear life. And I'm not picking fun. I'm just saying it doesn't matter what you do as long as that you're fully engaged to the Lord while you are doing it. And, and when you worship the Lord, don't hold anything back. That's why he's saying they give me the fat. He's saying the very best. In other words, that when we worship him, let's fully engage him and let's fully give him everything that we need. <laughs> let's not be thinking, you know, I wonder what's going on with the whatever. You know what I'm saying? We can get distracted. He deserves our best and he wants our best. And this is saying that they come before him and as they come before him, it not only ministers to him because they offer their whole being to him, but they offer them the best that they absolutely have. Now, the best that I have, he doesn't need it. But he wants it. It's like with our kids. Most of y'all have kids. Most of y'all have been around kids. Let's just say it like that. With your kids or your grandkids, nieces, nephews, whatever. It's like... You can tell when your kid's trying to work you and put you together like a two-piece puzzle or if they're actually loving on you, right? <laughs> two-piece puzzle. I mean, if you can't put that together, there's something wrong with you. 
you can tell when they're loving on you and they just, you know, even if it's for a brief moment, they give you everything they have. And then you can tell if it's like, yeah, I'll see you later, right? I mean, you can tell that. The Lord, he wants this. And when he wants this, like sometimes it takes effort on our part, and I get that. But when we do this, then he begins to minister to our hearts, and we minister to him, and, and he begins to meet the needs that we have inside of us. It's just this really beautiful thing. It really is. Really, really good. And then, I love this part. It says that they brought, oh man, they brought the fat, the best part, in the blood. What's the blood? Blood, look that up. It means blood. <laughs> but it means that they came and offered the best portion. And the blood represented the washing of any guilt that they had. 2 Corinthians 5.21, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, He made him, referring to Jesus, He made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So they stood before the Lord and they brought the fat, the best portion, and they brought the blood so that they would not be considered guilty before the Lord because all have fallen, all have sinned and all have fallen, all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. And this in 2 Corinthians, it says that Jesus literally became sin, the one that knew no sin, the one that had never sinned, that couldn't even comprehend sin. He became sin so that we, you and I, could become the righteousness of God. The righteousness, the right standing of God, the glory of God. Which would mean basically that when we, Jesus died so that we could be without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. The blood of Jesus does this. Oh man, it's so good. The blood of Jesus that washes us clean so that we can stand before God. So that we could say, I'm going to stand before you and offer you the very best I have. And yeah, I've messed up. Yeah, I've did this. Yeah, Yes, I did that, and I won't name out stuff because I think people know what's messed up with them already, and I know what's wrong with me, and I bet you all know what's wrong with you. I mean, we'll just leave it at that. But the blood of Jesus allows me to approach God and with a clear conscience, because actually the blood of Jesus cleanses us, our conscience of dead works. But anyway, we could come before God and say, I am yours, and yeah, I'm messed up, and I'm messed up, and I'm full of this, that, or the other, but you don't even see see that because his blood actually covers that. This is a really amazing verse right here in Hebrews. This is what the blood does. Oh, where is it? Hebrews 12, 24 says, Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks a better word of Abel. In other words, the blood of Jesus speaks a better word. Who's Abel? Abel's the one that murdered his brother in Genesis, the first murder. And the blood of him, it spoke this death, it spoke loss, it spoke destruction. But the blood of Jesus, it speaks something better over us. What the blood of Jesus actually speaks over you is this. So if I'm a sinner, which I was, all right, so if I'm a sinner, I come into the presence of God, and without the blood of Jesus, it would speak condemned, condemned, condemned. But with the blood of Jesus being shed on my behalf and your behalf, his blood speaks a better word. And so instead of saying condemned, 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 it speaks innocent, 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 
spotless, guiltless, no shame. He doesn't even remember what you've done wrong before, right? If you've sinned and you've came into the kingdom of God and you've asked him to forgive your sins, he does not remember them because the blood of Jesus washes your sins away. It says it, it, it blots out your transgressions so he remembers them no more is what it says. He says that he casts your sins as far as the east is from the west. He throws them into the sea of forgetfulness. So when I get covered by his blood and become righteous and I'm in right standing with God, it speaks a better word on my behalf. The best resume that any of us could ever have, we have resumes for job. The best resume that you can have for you before God is that you're innocent and that you're covered by his blood. And the best reference you could have is the blood of Jesus, which speaks a better word. You may call me and say, I need you to give me a reference for a job. I'm going to give you the best reference I possibly can, but his blood's going to speak a better word than I ever could. Oh, <laughs> that was fun. It was. It's, it's so good. Like, I, I, I think this. I think we have, and I'm not, and, and I, I'm not, a, I'm not a guilt guy. I'm not a, I, I don't want to be a hateful preacher. Like, that stuff makes me sick. Okay? But I think there's people all around that are in churches, lots of places, that don't realize what his blood actually does for you. There's some of us in here today, it's like, well, I did this when I was 15. I did this when I was 20. I did this when I was 30. I did this when I was 40. Whatever. You know what you've done. And you've consistently feel guilt and shame and condemnation for it. Or you consistently feel bound by it. But his blood, it comes to wipe all that away. You just got baptized. And so, so when you went down and you came back up, you're a new creation, right? The old is gone, the new has come. Which means that the person I was beforehand doesn't even exist anymore. And if that person doesn't exist anymore, then why do I allow the things that I've done in my past to eat my lunch? You've heard me say this time and time again. The Lord... He, he's not vindictive. He is, he is not. We, we, we as people, we like to do this with other people. We say, oh, I can forgive. Well, I never forget. Or we say stuff like that. And I understand that. But we think the Lord's standing there waiting when he gets bored with a shovel to dig up our past and just, oh, by the way, this is what you did beforehand. No, his blood comes to wash all that away. And, and so it's actually the enemy that comes to dig up your past to remind you of what you have done. It's the enemy that does that. When you're like, oh, the Lord's just taking me deeper because I need to repent of this thing I've repented of for 20 times. No, you need to quit listening to the voice of the enemy. That's, uh, I can't remember. Oh, man. You need to quit listening to it, man. His blood washes you. Innocent. Huh. Verse 16, Ezekiel 44, 16. It says, they shall enter my sanctuary and they'll come near to my table and minister to me and keep my charge. <laughs> they shall enter. means to, they shall come in. They shall pursue my presence. They will be brought to me. And it actually carries this meaning that when they enter into the sanctuary, they actually present a harvest to the Lord as an offering. So think of it like this. You're the harvest of the Lord. You are. You're actually Jesus' reward. 
you'd be brought into my sanctuary, the holy place, the place set apart. So you, you and I, we've been given the privilege of entering into the presence of God and staying there. We've been, we've been, we've been given permission to enter into a place that we have no right to be. Some of you, you've heard me, some of you all heard me tell this story before, but it, it was, what, four years ago, we were in Corpus Christi, Texas, and uh, Ethan at that time loved this musician named Toby Mack, and, and we went to this concert, and, and they had like an MC, a guy that kind of gave the announcements and greeted people right before the, the, the concert started, and I knew him from, I'd followed him on Twitter or whatever, and we'd had some exchanges back and forth, and so... I sent him this message on Twitter and said, hey, man, it is so cool to get to. I had no idea this is what you did, but this is so cool. Next thing you know, he's blowing up my phone saying, why don't you and your family come down here with me? And so, so meet me in the lobby. And so I was like, we're, we're, up, we're up high, far away. And we go down here and we meet him in this lobby section. He says, follow me. And so he takes us through this maze of corridors. And every so often they'd have like a bodyguard, you know, like big old dudes. Like, I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm big this way, not this way. These guys were big this way and this way, right? And so every time you'd walk by one, it's like they were just flexing their muscles on purpose <laughs> to try and intimidate you from going by them. But as we would walk by them, It'd be like, it's like, it's all right, we're with him, <laughs> right? It's because we're with this guy, we could go back and we, we'd keep looking and they'd look and be like, I'm with him. And the next thing you know, we, we finally come and we're backstage. And Toby Mack is like, I don't know, from me to the, to the clock away. And, and, you know, he was like 50 at the time and he's like dancing and doing all this crazy stuff. I don't know how he has all that energy, but he's worshiping his heart out and dancing and then... We look over and my wife about has a panic attack because Mandisa was right beside her sitting there. And we're in this place that we have no business being. But because one man said we had permission to, we were allowed to. Jesus, because what he did for you, has given you permission to enter into a place that you have no business being at, but because of him, you do now. Like Old Covenant, the Levitical priests, man, what they would do before, some of you guys know this, but like just once a year, they were allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies, the presence of God in the temple. And they go through all these purification rituals and they would actually tie a rope around the priest when he went into this place because if he had any sin in his life, Boom, he'd fall over dead. And they figured that the rope wasn't moving. They could pull his body out. Jesus made it to where we could go there and be able to be with him because of what he paid for you. All right. So enter the sanctuary. He, he, he gives us legal access to this place because of the blood of Jesus. And as we pursue God, we bring him this harvest and we're his harvest. And they shall come near to my table and minister to me and keep my charge. This last point right here, almost last point, we'll say this. They shall come near, they shall approach again, present oneself as an offering to his table or before his table. What's so significant about doing this before the table? I actually think this speaks of new covenant right here. Without going into too much detail, if you were to come to my house, 
I were to go to your house, what's the most common place that we'd probably hang out at? Probably the dining or the kitchen table. Or if we go out, what are we going to do? We're, we're probably going to go have dinner around a table. Why? Because that's what friends do. That's what families do. That's what friends and families do. I know sometimes we're busy and we eat on the run, but you understand what I'm saying. Like, one of my favorite things is when people come over and we just sit around my dining table and we don't do anything but laugh and cut up, right? We don't have to do anything super wild and crazy or but just to be with one another in that setting. And there's something about that table that actually disarms you. It's like I, if I'm standing face-to-face talking, sometimes I have a hard time. Maybe it's just me. I have a hard time really opening up. But if you get some food before me or get some coffee in front of me, right, and I'm around the table, I'm going to be more apt to just share everything that's going on. It's that safe place is what that table is. And so they're able to minister to the Lord at his table, that place of intimacy. And this last part of that verse, verse 16, it says, they come to my table and they keep my charge. Keep means to watch over, to guard. Charge means requirements, obligations, orders, responsibility. I I picture it like this that we come into this place and we worship him, we minister to his heart and we've submitted, but then we offer ourselves and say, you know, however you want to use me, use me, my life. I'm really laying my life down before you and I'm giving up my rights because I get so much more back from you and and I'm standing here in your presence and and I am in your presence now, but I'm standing before your table where we can begin to talk as friends and as we talk as friends, then you begin to, to enable me to keep my charge, which or his charge, which means that the Lord begins to give marching orders for our life, begins to give direction and clarity for our lives when we get before him. It's this beautiful, beautiful picture. And not only does he begin to give us direction, I say direction, marching orders. Like, I don't think that's going to be like, oh, I'm going to move to India and be a missionary type thing. I just think it's probably just day-to-day stuff. Sometimes we think when the Lord speaks, he's going to be like, I'm going to, you know, you're going to go over to here and you're going to do that. Maybe the Lord just wants us to be so filled with him that we make the biggest difference possible for him in our day-to-day life. All right. The other stuff's amazing. I just think we neglect that. He does this right there at that table. Psalm 23.5, speaking of table, Psalm 23.5 says he prepares a table before my enemies. So it's, that's pretty wild too when you think about it. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to cook you a big old meal, probably breakfast, hopefully. Breakfast for dinner is amazing. It's my favorite. But anyway, have this big old spread before the enemy, and the Lord's just saying, this is what I want you to do. This is who you are. You're my beloved. You're a masterpiece. You are an overcomer in me. You're all these wonderful things. Right before the presence of the enemy. And so I guess the challenge is this. Are we willing 
Are we willing just to do our best? And I don't mean works and strive. That's stupid. Are we willing to try to just lay our life down and be more aware of him in our day-to-day life and offer ourselves to him? Because if I think we did, I say I think, I, I am certain that if we did, I am certain that if we did, we take our city. But even on a more on a more micro scale, I'm certain that if we offered our life to him, it, it probably won't get easier. You're probably going to have a lot of the same problems that you have. But you can be able to get through those things. Okay? Much, much easier. Yeah. Yeah, if someone, if if, uh, if you ever hear a minister say that your life is perfect after you follow Jesus, run because he's probably lying. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I feel like I have more problems than a run-over three-legged dog. Right? I mean, you know, it's got all kinds of problems, but it gets me through.